0: My beloved brethren and sisters, this is a happy day to address you concerning the work of the Lord and its progress and development. Many things have happened in the intern interview, in, interval between last October conference and the six months that have just passed. We have returned from a long, glorious trip into the faraway places to visit and address our beloved people in the far south. We have traveled approximately 23,000 miles. We have gone from volcanoes of Chile in the far south to the heights of the Andes Mountains, all along the plains to the forests. In our many contacts, we have visited and borne testimony to approximately 150,000 people of our members in area conferences. We have found them growing, developing, happy people, and we are sure that our Heavenly Father is pleased with what he saw in the people, in their activities, attitudes, their faith, and their testimony. Early this year, when drought conditions seemed to develop in the West the cold and hardships in the East with varying weather situations all over the world, we felt to ask the members of the Church to join in fasting and prayer, asking the Lord for moisture where it was so vital and for cessation of the difficult conditions elsewhere. Perhaps we may have been unworthy in our asking these greatest blessings. But we do not wish to frantically approach the matter, but merely call it to the attention of our Lord and then spend our energy to put our lives in harmony. One prophet said, When heaven is shut up and there is no rain, because they have sinned against thee, if they pray toward this place and confess thy name and turn from their sins when thou afflictest them, then hear thou in heaven, and forgive the sin of thy servants and of thy people Israel, that thou teach them the good way wherein they should walk, and give rain upon the land which thou hast given to the people for an inheritance. The Lord issues and... uses the weather sometimes to discipline his people for the violation of his laws. He said to the children of Israel, If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and do them, then I will give you rain in due season. And the land shall yield her increase, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. And your threshing shall reach into vintage, And the vintage shall reach unto the sowing time, and ye shall eat your bread to the full, and dwell in your land safely. And I will give peace in the land, and ye shall lie down, and none shall make you afraid, neither shall the word, the sword, go through your land. With the great worry and suffering in the east, and threats of drought here in the west and elsewhere, we asked the Lord to join. We asked the people to join in a solemn prayer, a prayer circle for moisture where needed. Quite immediately, our prayers were answered, and we were grateful beyond expression. We're still in need and hope that the Lord may see fit to answer our continued prayers in the matter further. From all around the world we have received letters indicating a general response to the suggestion. From Brisbane, Australia comes this, We received your cable, inviting the Saints in Brisbane to join you and the world in a day of fasting and prayer. We share your love and concern for all of our Heavenly Father's children. Perhaps the day has come when we should take stock of ourselves and see if we are worthy to ask, and if we have been breaking the commandments, to make us unworthy of receiving the blessings. The Lord gave strict commandments, ye shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. In numerous times we have quoted this, asked our people not to profane the Sabbath, and yet we see numerous cars lined up at merchandise stores on the Sabbath day, and places of amusement crowded. And we wonder. Numerous times have we quoted, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor, and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested on the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and hallowed it. But today numerous of the people of this land spend the Sabbath working, devoting the day to the beaches, to entertainment, to shows, to their weekly purchases. The Lord makes definite promises, and he says, Then I will give you rain in due season, and the land shall yield or increase, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. God does what he promises, and many of us continue to defile the Sabbath day. He then continues, And your threshing— shall reach unto the vintage, and the vintage shall reach unto the sowing time, and ye shall eat your bread to the full, and dwell in your land safely. These promises are dependable. The Lord says further, And I will walk among you, and will be your God, and ye shall be my people. I am the Lord your God, and I have broken the bands of your yoke. The Lord reverses now and warns, But if ye will not hearken unto me and will not do all these commandments, and if ye shall despise my statutes, or if your soul abhor my judgments, so that ye will not do all my commandments, but break my covenant, I will also do this unto you. I will even appoint over you terror, consumption and the burning egg that shall consume the eyes and cause sorrow of heart, and ye shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. And I will set my face against you, and ye shall be slain before your enemies. They that hate you shall reign over you, and ye shall flee when none pursueth you. And I will break the pride of your power, And I will make your heaven as iron, and your earth as brass, and your strength shall be spent in vain, for your land shall not yield her increase, neither shall the trees of the land yield their fruits. The Lord goes further and says, I will destroy your cattle and make you few in number, and your highways shall be desolate. Can you think? How the highways could be made desolate, Well, when fuel and power are limited and when there is none to use, when men will walk instead of ride. Have you ever thought, my good folks, that the matter of peace is in the hands of the Lord who says, And I will bring a sword upon you? Would that be difficult? Do you read the papers? Are you acquainted with the hatreds in the world? What guarantee have you for permanent peace? And ye shall be delivered into the hand of the enemy. Are there enemies who could and would afflict us? Have you thought of that? And I will make your cities waste, he says, and bring your sanctuaries unto desolation. Then shall the land enjoy her Sabbaths, As long as it lieth desolate, and ye be in your enemy's land, even then shall the land rest and enjoy her Sabbaths. As long as it lieth desolate, it shall rest, because it did not rest when it could in your Sabbaths when ye dwelled upon it. Those are difficult and very serious situations. But they are possible, and the Lord concludes. These are the statutes and judgments and laws which the Lord made between him and the children of Israel in Mount Sinai by the hand of Moses. This applies to you and me. Would this be a good time to deeply concern ourselves with these matters? Is this a time when we should return to our homes, our families, our children? Is this the time when we should remember our tithes and our offerings? A time when we should divest, from, desist from our abortions, our divorces, our Sabbath-breaking, our eagerness to make the holy day a holiday? Is this a time to repent of our sins, our immoralities, our doctrines of devils? Is this a time for all of us to make holy our marriages? live in joy and happiness, rear our families in righteousness—certainly many of us know better than we do. Is this a time to terminate adultery and homosexual and lesbian activities and return to faith and worthiness? Is this a time to end our heedless pornographies? Is this the time to set our face firmly against unholy and profane things? and whoredoms, irregularities, and related matters. Is this the time to enter new life? As the clear thinking of Apostle Paul said, mortify therefore your members, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. Would this be a good time to eliminate the works of the flesh? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, rev- revilings, and such like, dismembering remembering that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. The Lord asks, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. The Temple Work for the Church is going forward. We're pleased with that. We're proud of the service rendered, attendance at the temple. But is not total service required. It was brought out in our meeting the other day that to go to the temple is not sufficient. We must get many, many names of people so we can carry on the work for them. Now have, We now have sixteen temples with four others under contemplation, but, but have you thought of the other work that can be done nearby and far away? One does not need to live in the temple district very close to carry on this work. Great quantities of genealogical data and family records can be produced and made available for the work which can be done later when temples are more available. Perhaps this is preeminent. So we urge all our multitudes of people to write their personal records and biographies and their genealogies and all be prepared for the days when the temples are made available and can be used by all. This is a program long followed by members of this Church But today there are numerous friends, Catholics, Protestants, Jews, and others who are filling our genealogical rooms with their preparation for their family lines. We're told that microfilming in Rhodesia is being permitted. Cameras are also filming in South Africa and in many other nations throughout the world. Next week, we celebrate the 100th anniversary of the dedication of St. George Temple, the first in the West. The roots phenomenon has had an amazing impact on the people of this country, and more and more people are concerned with the genealogical program. Numerous genealogical libraries throughout the Church in the world are serving and making records available for patrons as the moment of the children's hearts turned to their fathers. As suggested by Malachi, the news media, the national and international are all making inquiries. Film crews are working. Millions of Americans have been reached by these articles. And this gives us theological basis for our emphasis on the family. This is a firm and positive and important element of our religious teaching. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to the fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. That's an ominous, portentous thing. With a century of intensive work in genealogy and records, there has been a great accumulation of records of life, birth, death, and today there are millions of people in eternity, many of them who have lived on the earth at the time when records were not kept and the work was not done, temples were not erected, and prophets Did not exist. And Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord, and all the judgments. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord hath said, we will do. And he took the book of the covenant and read in the audience of the people, and they said, All that the Lord hath said, we will do. And be obedient. May I mention again our program on home gardens. From all over the globe come notes from members who participate in this productive project. Here's a picture of a little boy, several little boys, and their father with a wheelbarrow full of cabbages, tomatoes, beans, melons, etc. There was Sonia's garden in the heart of Sao Paulo a great metropolis. Others say this is a way of making lasting relationships of friends and neighbors. Our gardens are our matter of discussion in private, in socials at home. It has brought our families together, they say. One home teacher reports of the five families whom I visit, all five of them have home gardens, and it makes me very proud. I find them anxious now to plant for another year. Brothers and sisters, this is the work of the Lord. We deal with many of things which are thought to be not so spiritual. But all things are spiritual with the Lord, and He expects us to listen and to obey and to follow the commandments. And I beg of you, all of us, that we live the commandments of the Lord, which are brought forth in these conferences from time to time by the various Brethren, and to bear testimony to the divinity of it all, in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.
1: People everywhere today are hearing voices, strange voices, enticing them to follow by and forbidden paths which lead to destruction. Nowhere is this more evident than in the pleading tones of that chorus of discordant voices which speak of the Savior of the world himself. There are voices crying, Lo, here is Christ, or Lo, there meaning that various preachers are saying, Believe in Christ and be saved according to this system or according to that system. A voice from the Koran acclaims that Jesus is a prophet like Abraham and Moses, but sweeps aside the divine sonship with the declaration that Allah has no need for a son to redeem men. Rather, he has but to speak, and a thing is done. A voice from one sect looking back to the cross says, We were saved 2,000 years ago, and there is nothing we can do about it one way or the other now. Another voice proclaims, Baptism is of no moment. Simply believe. Confess the Lord with your lips. No more is needed. Christ did it all. Another sect sets aside the need for good works with the assertion that there will be a final harmony of all souls with God. All will be saved. Another sings out about confession and penance and purgatory and the ritualistic rites of a priestly hierarchy. Another says our Lord was a great moral teacher, nothing more. Others believe the virgin birth was only a pious fiction fabricated by simple disciples who also made up the accounts of the miracles. And so it goes. All sects, parties, and denominations acclaim a Christ molded to fit their diverse theological idiosyncrasies. And as we know... This very babble of voices crying out that salvation comes through Christ, according to this or that conflicting system, is itself one of the signs of the times. Jesus foretold that in our day there would be false Christs and false prophets, meaning that false religions bearing his name would arise and that false doctrines and false teachers would be everywhere. Amid it all, may we raise the one voice which echoes the mind and will and voice of the Lord. Our voice is one which testifies of a true and living Christ. It is one which says that the Lord Jesus has revealed himself and his gospel anew in modern times. It is a voice which invites all men to come to him who died on Calvary and to live his laws as he has given them to modern prophets. May I now, as one who has come to a knowledge of the truth about our Savior, proclaim his divine sonship and testify to that salvation which comes in and through his holy name and in no other way and do it by the power of the Holy Ghost. I shall speak of the gods of heaven, and of our relationship to them, and of what they expect of us. And may I say at the outset that all those whose hearts are open and whose minds are enlightened by the power of the Holy Spirit shall know of the truth of the doctrines I shall teach, and the testimony I shall bear. We worship the Father in the name of the Son, by the power of the Holy Ghost. The Father's name is Elohim. Jehovah is his Son. Above all gods they stand supreme and rule the universe. Jehovah is the Holy One by whom redemption comes. His gospel is the word of life. He is our living Lord. The Holy Spirit witness bears. Our soul the message hears that Father, Son, and Holy Ghost are man's eternal gods. Be it known, then, that there is a God in heaven who is infinite and eternal. He has all power, all might, and all dominion. There is no power he does not possess, and no truth he does not know. Every good thing dwells in him independently in its eternal fullness. He is the creator, upholder, and preserver of all things. His name is Elohim, and he is our Father in heaven, the literal Father of the spirits of all men. He has a body of flesh and bones as tangible as man's and is, in fact, a resurrected and glorified person. The name of the kind of life he lives is eternal life, and eternal life, by definition and in its nature, consists of life in an eternal family unit and of the possession of the fullness of the glory and power of the Father. The Lord Jesus, whose witnesses we are, is the firstborn of the Father, the firstborn of every creature. He was the beloved and chosen one from the beginning. When our Eternal Father ordained and established the plan of salvation, when the great Elohim set up the system which would enable us, his spirit children, to advance and progress and become like him— When the Father of us all offered eternal life to his children, he asked for volunteers to put his plan into operation. After all the hosts of heaven had been taught the gospel of God, after they knew of the perils and trials of a future mortality, after the need for a Redeemer had been presented in the courts of glory, the Father propounded these questions and sent them forth through all the seraphic hosts of heaven. Whom shall I send to be my son? Who will put the terms and conditions of my plan into effect? Who will work out the infinite and eternal atonement, whereby all men shall be raised in immortality with those who believe and obey, Being raised unto eternal life. Then it was that his beloved and firstborn son responded Here am I, send me. I will be thy son. I will sponsor thy plan, Father. I will take upon me the sins of all men on conditions of repentance. And Father, the honor and the glory be thine forever. Then it was that this favored one, this one who under the Father had become the creator of worlds without number, was chosen and foreordained and became the lamb slain from the foundations of the world. Then it was that the decree went forth that the great Jehovah should be born and die and rise again from the grave in glorious immortality, thus becoming in the full and literal sense like unto the Father. Then it was that the firstborn in the Spirit was chosen to become the only begotten in the flesh. Then it was that the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy because immortality and eternal life would now be a reality. In due course came Adam and Eve, the fall of man with its temporal and spiritual death, and the consequent promise of a Redeemer, a Savior, a Deliverer. The gospel of the Lord Jehovah was revealed so that men might worship the Father in his name, and enjoy the words of eternal life on this earth, and be inheritors of eternal life on the celestial earth that is to be. Adam and Eve made all things known to their seed, so they might believe in Christ, repent of their sins, be baptized, receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, and work the works of righteousness. Christ and his laws were revealed to all the holy prophets. As Peter said, To him give all the prophets witness, that through his name whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. He was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Israel, the Holy One, the Lord Omnipotent, He was the promised Messiah, the Savior and Redeemer, the Son of David. And at the appointed time, he was born of a virgin in Bethlehem of Judea, according to the promises. From Mary, his mother, a mortal woman, he inherited the power of mortality, so that he was subject to all the temptations and ills of the flesh including death itself. From God his Father, an immortal man, he inherited the power of immortality so that he had power to live forever or having voluntarily laid down his life to take it up again in immortal glory. He came into the world to ransom men from the temporal and spiritual death brought upon them by the fall of Adam. He came to satisfy the demands of divine justice and to bring mercy to the penitent. He came as a mediator, as an intercessor, to plead the cause of all those who believe in him. He came to bring immortality to all men as a free gift. He came to make eternal life available on conditions of obedience to the laws and ordinances of his gospel. He came to bring hope, to bring joy, to bring peace, to bring salvation. And his is the only name given under heaven, whereby salvation comes. Our Lord, the Lord Jehovah, the Lord Jesus, is our hope and our salvation. He it is that hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. He has redeemed us from death, hell, the devil, and endless torment. After his resurrection, he ascended up on high to sit on the right hand of the Father. He has appeared in our day with his Father, who said, This is my beloved Son, Hear him. He has appeared many other times to converse with his earthly friends, and in the not distant future he will come again with ten thousand of his angels in all the glory of his Father's kingdom to usher in his personal reign of righteousness and peace. When he comes, he will slay the wicked and judge the world, and every corruptible thing will be destroyed by the glory of his presence. He is our friend, our lawgiver, our king, and our Lord. We seek his face and desire to dwell in his presence. We are his people, the sheep of his fold. Our desire is to be reconciled to God through his blood, For we know that it is by grace that we are saved, after all we can do. As one of our fellow laborers of old said, We talk of Christ, we rejoice in Christ, we preach of Christ, we prophesy of Christ, so that all men may know to what source they may look for a remission of their sins. So now, in keeping with our established practice and pursuant to the divine obligation laid upon us, I bear personal testimony of the divine Sonship of him who has saved us with his blood. He is truly God's almighty Son, in whom we shall rejoice both now and forever forever. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen.
2: He to whom you have just listened, Spencer Woolley Kimball, is God's prophet to all the world. Not only are the heavens not sealed, as many suppose, But a living prophet is here, admonishing and counseling, and is available to all who will listen. He is God's anointed for all mankind to follow. I ask the Lord to bless me as only he can, that I might communicate to you the desires of my heart at this time. Next Sunday is Easter. For a brief few hours, many in the world, believers and non-believers, will have recalled to their mind through pictures, stories, and messages in the media or from church pulpits the final events culminating in the death and resurrection of our Lord. The fragmentary accounts of the Savior's brief ministry are sufficient to give us at least a small feeling of his great love. His desire is to help us. He will give to each of us as much of his own spirit as we are prepared to accept. His work and glory is to save all mankind. As I read and ponder Christ's teachings given to help us understand the purpose And as I witness the miraculous events occurring today in the spreading of his work, I feel a swelling in my bosom, a testimony of its eternal truth. Shortly before the Savior's betrayal and subsequent events that will be celebrated next week, an event now known as the Transfiguration occurred, which I am sure was meant for our spiritual enlightenment as well as for those who were personal witnesses. The New Testament writers tell us the Savior took with him the three dearest and most enlightened of his apostles and went up a lofty mountain, Luke says simply, a mountain, to find a secluded spot where he could kneel in prayer and prepare for the events soon to come. It must have been early evening when the Savior ascended the mountain with those three chosen witnesses, James and John, known as the sons of thunder, and Peter, the man of rock. And Perhaps Jesus felt a sense not only of the heavenly calm which that solitary opportunity for communion with his Father would bring, but even more a sense that he would be supported in the coming hour by ministrations not of this earth. He was to be illuminated with a light which needed no aid from the sun or the moon or the stars. He went up to prepare for his coming death. He took his three apostles with him in the belief that they, after having seen his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father might be fortified and that their faith strengthened, which would prepare them for the insults and the humiliating events which were to follow. We learn from what has been written that the Savior finding a secluded place knelt and prayed. And as he prayed to his Father, he was elevated far above the doubt and wickedness of the world which had rejected him. As he prayed, he was transfigured, His countenance shone as the sun, and his garments became white as the snow fields above them. He was enwrapped in an aura of glistening brilliance. His whole presence reflected such a divine radiance that the light of the sun or the white of the snow are the only things which the evangelist can compare that celestial scene. Two figures appeared by his side. There stood by him Moses and Elijah. When the prayer was ended, the coming ordeal undoubtedly accepted. Then the full glory fell upon him from heaven, a testimony of his divine sonship and power. Luke's account indicates the three apostles did not witness the beginning of this marvelous transfiguration, The three apostles, as they would later be at Gethsemane, were heavy with sleep, the account says. But they were suddenly startled into wakefulness. Then they saw and heard. In the darkness of the night the apostles saw an intense light and the glorified form of their Lord. Beside him in that same glory of light were two persons which they knew or heard to be, Moses and Elijah. Undoubtedly, they spoke with Jesus of his coming death at Jerusalem. As the vision began to fade, Peter, the account says, spoke the first thought that came to his mind, and apparently anxious to delay the departure of the heavenly visitors, said, Master, it is good for us to be here, and let us make three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elias. They may have been surprised at the inappropriate proposal made by the eager Peter, who would yet learn the meaning of the night's events. But even as Peter spoke, a bright cloud of brilliant light overshadowed Jesus and his heavenly visitors, Moses and Elijah, and also the three apostles. And a voice was heard, This is my beloved Son, hear him. The three apostles fell prostrate and hid their faces. How long it was before Jesus came to them and touched them is not clear from the account. But when they raised their eyes, it was all over. The bright cloud had vanished. The gleams of light, the shining countenance, had passed away. They were alone with Jesus. Now only the light from the stars was on the mountain slopes. After such an experience, the the apostles may have hesitated to rise, but Jesus, now appearing as they had seen him before he knelt in prayer, touched them, saying, Arise and be not afraid. He was their dear friend. The day was probably dawning as they descended the mountain. Jesus instructed them to tell no man until he had risen from the dead. The vision was for them. It it was to be pondered over by them in the depths of their own hearts. They were not even to tell the other apostles. They kept Christ's instructions but could not understand the full meaning, I am sure. They could only ask each other or wonder in silence what this resurrection from the dead could mean, but they now knew more fully than ever that their Lord was indeed the Christ, the Son of God. And though difficult for us to understand, Jesus himself must have been strengthened and sustained by Moses and Elijah to prepare him for the suffering and the agony ahead for him in working out the infinite and eternal atonement of all mankind. An angel from heaven would again in a few days strengthen him when he would sweat great drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. The three chosen apostles were taught of his coming death and also his resurrection, teachings that would strengthen each of them in the eventful days ahead. Testifying later, John said, We beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, and the apostle Peter, speaking of this personal experience, wrote, "For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from that from the excellent glory." This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And Peter went on to say, And this voice which came from heaven we heard, and when we were with him on the holy mount. Peter, James, and John, they alone beheld the glory and majesty of the transfigured Jesus, and undoubtedly received the keys of the kingdom, These three were yet to be taken to a spot in Gethsemane where they would behold his suffering as he took upon him the sins of the world that he might redeem us from the fall and through his resurrection demonstrate to us that he is the only begotten of the Father in the flesh and to show unto us he is the Redeemer of the world. These same three witnesses that were on the mount, Peter, The senior of Christ's apostles and James and John appeared to Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery in 1829 and conferred upon them the Melchizedek priesthood and gave to them the keys of the kingdom and apostleship. Christ himself, followed by Moses, Elias, and Elijah, appeared to Joseph and Oliver in the Kirtland Temple giving authority and committing other essential keys of this dispensation. The Prophet's own words of this event, In the afternoon I assisted the other Presidents in distributing the Lord's Supper to the Church, receiving it from the Twelve, whose privilege it was to officiate at the sacred desk this day. After having performed this service to my brother and I retired to the pulpit, the veils being dropped, and bowed myself with Oliver Cowdery in solemn and silent prayer. After rising from prayer, from prayer the following vision was opened to both of us. The veil was taken from our minds, and the eyes of our understanding were opened. We saw the Lord standing upon the breastwork of the pulpit before us, and under his feet was a paved work of pure gold in color like amber. I am the first and the last. I am he who liveth. I am he who was slain. I am your advocate with the Father. The prophet Joseph went on after this vision closed. The heavens were again opened to us, and Moses appeared before us and committed unto us the keys of the gathering of Israel. After this, Elias appeared and committed the dispensation of the gospel of Abraham, saying that in us and our seed all generations after us should be blessed. After this vision had closed, another great and glorious vision burst upon us. For Elijah the prophet, who was taken to heaven without tasting death, stood before us and said, Therefore the keys of this dispensation are committed into your hands. And by this ye may know that the great and dreadful day of the Lord is near even at the doors. The divine keys, power, and authority have, com- have been committed by heavenly messengers to Joseph Smith in this, the dispensation of the fullness of times. Those keys, the same that were delivered to Peter, James, and John on the mountain, authorize us to carry the true gospel to all nations, and declare the power, glory, and majesty of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that the day of his coming is near. A prophet of God to whom we have listened this morning holds these keys and authority today. We invite people everywhere to inquire further into this divine message which we have to offer to all mankind. I testify in all sincerity to the truth of these things in the name of whom we honor, worship, and love as our Savior and Redeemer, Jesus the Christ, in his holy name, amen. Amen.